0: Ephesians chapter 5, we continue this, this is the second part of the sermon uh, from last week, it was a two-part series, so to speak, dealing with the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, in our church body, in our community. <clears throat> first, the first sermon focused in on the work of the Holy Spirit in making dead men alive, in bringing dead and hard hearts to soft and living and breathing spiritual new life. That's, that's regeneration. That's the rebirth. And many of you have said to me over the week, even one this morning said, I, 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 I know I was saved. I'm not, I'm not saying I got saved last week, but I really think for the first time in my life, I kind of call what it means to be born again. I, I, didn't, I didn't really understand that. That's a, that's a wonderful thing. That, that is uh, exactly what happens when the people of God sit under the preaching of God's Word, and then He instructs them with His Spirit through the preacher. That, that's what happens repetitively, and I hope it's happening in your life. Now, this week we turn our focus on the Holy Spirit. The subtitle is... Keep being filled with the Spirit. Because in Ephesians 5, verse 18, we read, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But, and in the translation, it says, Be filled with the Spirit. It, It would be better, it's easier to read, but it's better translated as a continual action. Keep on being filled is what Paul's saying. Keep on being filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk on wine, but keep on now being filled with the Spirit. You who've been granted new life through the Spirit, now walk with Him. That's the command he gives in other letters. And here he's saying, be filled with the Spirit. You get the idea of a cup, and it's being filled, and it's overflowing. I I don't know that Paul was thinking directly of this, but Jesus uses that very analogy about the Spirit, doesn't he? He says, you come to a well and you draw water and you drink and you get thirsty again. If you come to the well of the Spirit, you will drink and you will never thirst again, and that well will spring up from within you into living waters, and it will flow over everything. It will just keep flowing out. And Paul saying, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm I'm of the conviction in my life, say it up front, that I am rarely, rarely, unfortunately, filled the way Paul's talking about. Because I'm a prideful person who believes in his heart that he can get it done by himself. And I'm a sinner I'm saved by grace, but I'm a sinner. And the reality is, when you're filled with the Spirit, you you can't glory in your own flesh. And you can't get excited about what you're getting done. But when you're filled with the Spirit, you're focused on Christ and on His Gospel and on the power of God and in glorifying and, and, and radiating to others the glory of God. And that gets in the way of my sinful flesh. And so my sinful flesh doesn't really crave or want to be filled with the Spirit. My inner new man desires that, wants it, and there's this war going on. And you may know what I'm talking about. You may understand what I'm saying. It's my prayer that from today forward, that we as a congregation would be increasingly focused on being consumed and filled with the Spirit. That's my prayer, and I'm going to tell you why. Because the definition for me, biblically, gathering a bunch of information, putting it together, boiling it down, what is being filled with the Spirit? What is that? Here it is. This is what I believe the Bible teaches clearly. Being filled with the Spirit is being overcome, overwhelmed with joy in salvation from God, which leads to The victory over besetting sin and boldness to witness for Christ. That's being filled with the Spirit. Joy, victory over sin, and boldness in witness. Why are the apostles bold in their witness? It's obviously not because they're bold, right? I mean, we got Peter as an example, don't we? Peter in the courtyard of the high priest and the servant girl, maybe 14, maybe, says, Hey, you kind of look like somebody who was following Jesus. What does he say? Not me. Wrong fellow. Group of people standing around a the fire. They hear Peter talking. They say, You sound like a Galilean. Did you follow Jesus? No. Oh, yes, you did. You're the one. You were with him probably somebody from the arrest scene in the garden that actually saw him. say, no, I saw you. Peter would have been easy to pick out, wouldn't he? He was, the, he was the wild man with the sword. Everybody knew who Peter was that was in that party, and I think that was one of the men gathered around the fire and said, no, no, buddy, I saw you earlier tonight. I'm IDing you. I'm profiling you. You were wielding a sword. Jesus rebuked you. You followed him. Following that confrontation Peter curses Christ. That's Peter. That's the fleshly Peter. I'm not going to die for Jesus. Wimpy? Yes. Bold? Never. And then in Acts chapter 3, in Acts chapter 4, in Acts chapter 2, what do we find? Peter, standing in front of the most educated men in his nation. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the council. And what is he doing? Boldly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he is living in the filled spirit. He's filled with the spirit. And he now takes joy, as Acts 13 says, in his salvation. He has joy in. In his salvation. And he is filled with the Spirit. That's what Acts 13 says about the apostles. That's what it says about the new church. They had joy in salvation and were filled with the Spirit. And what did they do? They boldly proclaimed, even to death, this is my Lord. I will die for him. And while you're throwing those stones at me, I'm praying for you. That's what Stephen did, right? Now, I, I'm just, I don't do this a lot. I'm going to ask you. Who in here needs the joy of their salvation restored, victory over besetting sin, and boldness in your witness? Just go ahead and raise your hand. Everybody look around. Every hand is raised. So we all need to be filled with the Spirit. That's my hope. As we go through this, I want you to set aside your personal value of yourself and your fear that somebody might think you're odd or weird, Just just go on and repent of that now and focus in here just for a moment on the idea of being filled with the Spirit. Notice that he says, do not be drunk with wine, but be be filled with the Spirit. I want you to take your Bible. Hold your place. We're going to do a lot of turning again today. Psalm chapter 4. Psalm chapter 4. What you find in the New Testament... Is, is you find that it is the Old Testament regurgitated in a new context. It's basically the Old Testament again. That's why I laugh under my breath when people talk about, well, there's a God of the Old Testament, and there's a God of the New Testament. I'm like, well, you didn't read it very closely. Because they're basically quoting the Old Testament over and over and over. Psalm 4, where does Paul get this contrast between... Wine and being drunk and being filled with the spirit. Where does that come from? Psalm four, verse seven and eight. The psalmist says, David says, "You've put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. You've put more joy in my heart than when I get when They get drunk. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety." The idea of not getting drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit comes from psalms. Paul knows the psalms, and he's saying, look, why do people drink wine? Let's just think about that for a minute. Why do people get caught up on drinking wine, get addicted to it? I would, there may be a lot of reasons, but here's, here's the thing I will suggest to you. One, they want to escape the realities they live in. That's why alcoholism is exceedingly more high among the poor than among the rich. I'm not saying there aren't rich people who have a drinking problem. I'm saying the poor struggle exponentially more. Why? Because they want to escape the life they're living. And secondly, it's a cheap way to get joy in your life. You can go down to the quick rip, and get you a malt liquor or a wine, cheap wine, and you can, in a matter of time, for a season, have the removal of your poor condition and the excitement and joy that comes with being with friends and having a celebration. And it don't cost a whole lot. That's no different than in Paul's day or in David's day. They, they were craving to get released from this world and to have a good time in celebration and joy now you see the contrast Paul saying look you've been made alive by the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God lives in you so don't go to the cheap wine of this world to find release the Spirit is your release don't go to the cheap wine of this world to have joy The Spirit is your joy. Jesus is your joy. That's what he's saying. So he's saying, look, the worst of drunks has to get sober sometime. Monday comes for everybody. By Monday at lunch, it may be a bad headache, but they're sober. The beauty of the Spirit is you can be filled with it all the time. It doesn't cost you money. You don't have to go to the store. You don't have to assemble friends. You can be filled with the Spirit continually now. And what happens when you're filled with the Spirit? Just to take this theory all the way out, what happens? Look at the next verses. Be filled with the Spirit. Keep on being filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I would say if you went to any establishment in our county on a Friday or Saturday night, what you're going to encounter at some level is singing... Escape, celebration, that's what you're going to encounter at any establishment where the alcohol is flowing. Singing and making melody and celebrating and, and loving life, even if it's just for a window of time before you go back to reality. And what Paul's saying is, in the Spirit, you got that all the time. Melodies are just flowing up from your heart. Do you have a problem singing? You struggle with it? You're not filled with the Spirit. So you can't say that. I didn't. Paul did. Paul says if you were filled with the Spirit, melodies would flow out of you. You ever been around people that just are always singing, humming, whistling? They're just, they're just oozing with something. Why not? One of the great signs of revival, and it's happened many times, but in, in the Welch revival in the early 1900s, late 1800s, early 1900s, what began to happen in their churches was the filling of the Spirit. And what happened was they flowed out onto the streets and they began to go to the taverns and they began to go to the, to the corners. And the preachers said that they would walk down the street and people would be impromptu singing to one another. They would just be preaching the gospel back and forth. They'd go in the tavern. They'd hear this merrymaking. They'd go in and say, they must be drinking it up. They'd go in. No drinking. Somebody's standing on top of the bar with a Bible. They're preaching. And people are singing in response to the joy of hearing God's Word proclaimed and the power of the Spirit that describes our city? No. And guess what? That wasn't in the time of the Apostles. That wasn't back there in the Bible days. That was in the same kind of experience that we have available to us. The same age we now live in. So you can't assign this thing off and say, well, That's the kind of thing, Carlton, that happened back in Pentecost. That doesn't happen anymore. Oh, yes, it does. It should be. Keep on being filled with the Spirit, so much so that out of your heart flow these streams of living water. How do they come out? In the form of joy, merrymaking, songs, usually in the Bible, prayers, the preaching of God's gospel, the Word of God and victory over sin. We've left this idea, haven't we? I mean, the honest truth. Let's just all be honest. We've all bought into the self-help. All of us have bought into self-help and the worldly psychology. There's good and bad. The worldly psychology. That what we need, what we need to beat our sin is a lot of elbow grease and hard work. And a few steps. And what we need is the filling of the Spirit. Trust me on this. If the drug addict ever got a piece, a glimpse of what it's like to have the Spirit of God, heroin and cocaine can't hold a candle to it. He'd say, I don't want that stuff. Now, it may struggle. He may continue to struggle at times, have to fight. But he said, I've got a high that's better than that high. The problem is the drug addict's never seen anybody with the Spirit, and he's never had the Spirit fill him. What he sees when he comes into these doors is what he doesn't want. Dead, lifeless, duty, he doesn't see joy. He doesn't see celebration. He doesn't see a life ignited with a passion. He goes to the world, he gets around his buddies, they get a high, and he sees passion. They'll do anything to get that high. He comes to a place like this and he says, these people are dead, they're muted, they have no desires. I don't want to live like that the rest of my life. Church, something's disconnect. You feel it? We've disconnected. We've got great mental assent and knowledge of a lot of good doctrine, right doctrine, biblical doctrine, but we have quenched and put out the fire that kindles that into a blaze. We've quenched it. And it's happened in this room since I've been preaching. I've watched you. It happened to some of you in the song service. You wanted so bad, so bad to agree aloud with what was happening and you just said, not me. And that happens here and there and back there and up here and it starts happening everywhere and the Spirit just is muted. Muted. Quenched. The brick walls put up. Him there, us on this side. I don't want that, do you? I'm tired of that. I'm sick of it. I long for a life that is set ablaze by what Paul's talking about. That's what I want. I know that's what you want. And so I want to I now that we've looked at this text quickly and we've compared what he's comparing. Wine and drinking, over-drinking, the abuse of wine, the drunkenness and the revelry that goes on in the world. He's compared that and I have tried to say, hey, that's what he's talking about with the spirit." He's saying when you're filled with the Spirit, it's like that. Only better. That's temporal. This is eternal. That has bad effects. This has good effects. Okay? I've tried that. Now, I want to I back up now to a broader look at the Bible. And I, w- I want to say, out from the outset, this will challenge some of you. This, it, will, it will. It will. It will scare some of you. But I really believe this. The Holy Spirit... The Holy Spirit is as real and as active and in the same ways as He has been from the beginning. There has never been a time from the creation of the world that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were active, were not active in everything that was done. If we take the creation story, all three persons of the Trinity are there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God, we take that by that, the Father. God the Father created the heavens and the earth. But John tells us explicitly that Jesus was the active creator of the world. So both Father and Son are there. What do we find next? And the earth was without form and void and The spirit hovered over the face of the deep. That word "hovered" means he vibrated. He was energy. He was kinetically beginning the process of of when he was commanded. He was. It was like he was humming. It was like if you go to Talladega today and when they say fire those engines, they just they boy. If you've ever heard them, they just vibrate. They hum. You can hear them from miles. All of them sitting there on pit road, just waiting. Waiting, waiting. We throw that green flag. Let's go racing, boys. Right? Some of you are scared to shake your head because you don't want nobody know you watch it. I watch it. It's okay. I'm a NASCAR fan. Hey, listen. At the creation, the command to start the engine was from the Father. And the Spirit started hovering, power quaking over the face of the deep until Jesus said, Let there be. And then he went to work. They actively, all three of them, created the world you see and the world you cannot see. All of them. When Abraham was chosen to father a great nation, all three were active. The father planned it, the son instituted it, and the spirit, the spirit communed to bring about the faith of Abraham. Don't ever, don't ever fall in the trap that Abraham somehow had faith. He did not. The Spirit created a living man from a dead man, just like He does with us. And then we see the life of Abraham unfold, and there's all these moments of struggle and failure, and struggle and win, and what's going on? The work of the Spirit. It's not any different than your life or my life. It's a a momentous life. It's a breaking point in history. But in his flesh and in his being, he's no different than you or I. He's controlled by God through the Spirit. He's God's child. He walked with him. And then we come to the great moment of the giving of the covenant law. The law. The covenant was established, and now the law is given. And what you find in Exodus is strange. God comes down on a mountain with great quakes of fire, lightnings, and the earth trembling, and the smell of smoke, and a great wind is passing through there. And the people run to the edge of the mountain. What's going on here? Something's happening. And the assembly of Israel was at the foot of the mountain and Moses was their representative went ahead and he comes down with the law they received the grace of God that day the law it was the grace of God beautiful story inside the banks of Israel from that time forward the Holy Spirit is very active and and some of you have misread it and I, I did for a long time you thought the Spirit didn't become active till after Christ was resurrected. That's a misunderstanding of what Jesus said in John 14. What He's doing in John 14 is giving His Spirit to the apostles in the sense of doing the ministry of a founding and beginning works for the church. He's not giving them the Spirit for the first time and they're not the first humans to ever receive the Spirit. They're receiving the power to do a specific ministry in John 14. That's what He's promising. Because we know the Spirit regenerated them, right? Or they could not have been saved. And the Spirit was active in their life prior to Jesus' statement in John 14. Prior to that. Okay? And so, we have this Old Testament, Old Covenant, the banks of Israel. Inside the banks of Israel, the Spirit is active. We see it in David's life. Go read the Psalms. David, in Psalm, one of the most clear pictures of it is Psalm 51. Create in me a new heart, O Lord. And then he says, Do what? Take not your Holy Spirit from me. You've either got to believe he's talking about losing his salvation or something else. And I'm going with the something else. Based on the witness of Scripture, what he's talking about is the filling of the Spirit. He's talking about, God, don't withhold your very ready presence from me. The joy of my salvation, the victory over my sin, the boldness for me to proclaim your truth, don't withhold that from me because of my sin. Please don't take that from me. He was filled with the Spirit. And so were the prophets, and so were the people in some ways, in many of them inside of Israel mainly and then we come to the New Testament and in the life of Jesus we find that he is filled with the Spirit Luke it's interesting Luke records that mostly and he shows us by the very beginning of his of his writing in Luke if you just go through this week and read Luke 1 through 4 you will be overwhelmed By how many times Luke says and they were filled with the Spirit and this person was filled with the Spirit and Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit and John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit and Mary was filled with the Spirit. And then you come to Jesus being baptized and what happens to Him? The Spirit descends on Him. And the Bible says He was filled with the Spirit. Wait! Time out. Jesus didn't have the Spirit. He's God. Well, certainly He did. Well, what's it happening? He's being filled for power in ministry. Everything Jesus did in His earthly ministry, He did through and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not by His power as the second person of the Trinity, not by the first person of the Trinity, power, but by the Holy Spirit. He's filled at his baptism for ministry, for joy, for living, for victory. His victory's different, remember. He didn't have sin, but he had victory over sin, and it came through the Spirit. Jesus is said to have given his soul, to have to have given his life in the power of the Spirit as an offering for you and me. How did he defeat sin and death? Through the Spirit. Through his death, which was an offering through the Spirit to God the Father, which was pleasing in his sight. Everything Jesus did... He's filled with the Spirit. If you go after His baptism, He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And He defeats Satan in the wilderness. And then He comes out of the wilderness and goes to Nazareth and it says He is filled with the Spirit and takes up Isaiah, the scroll of Isaiah, and tells them that they're seeing the fulfillment of that prophecy in their very hearing. Jesus was filled with the Spirit. Now, what happens at His death, resurrection, and ascension. Luke also records that for us. Now we look at Acts. Turn to Acts chapter 1. And let's look at this. Because, you may say, where in the world? Okay, He showed us that the Spirit was active in the Old Covenant. He showed us the Spirit's active in Jesus' life. Particularly for ministry, for victory. Where is He going with this? Okay. They seem disconnected. Ephesians 5.18 and all this other. And hopefully we're about to draw it together. Right here. The apostles standing with Jesus. He's resurrected. He's about to ascend back into heaven. He tells them in verse 4. Acts 1 verse 4. He, he says. While, it says while they were staying with them. And while staying with them, he ordered them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, John 14, and and the promise the Father would send the Spirit, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. John the Baptist had coined the phrase of being baptized with the Spirit. You don't find it before John the Baptist. John the Baptist, in distinguishing what he was doing from what Jesus would do, he said, Listen, I baptize with water. Jesus will baptize you with the Spirit. And now Jesus picks that up and says, You'll be baptized. Alright? So what happens then? <clears throat> it's not for you. Uh, they, they ask a question about whether they should. Expect the end to be now, the kingdom to be established on the earth. He says, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. What will they receive? Power. They will not receive salvation. This is not regeneration. These men are Christians. What do they receive? power from the Holy Spirit when He comes on them. And then what will they do? They will be His witnesses, His bold witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. If you understand Acts 1-8, you understand the outline of everything in Acts. The book of Acts is the fulfillment of Acts 1-8. The rest is just the unfolding of what Jesus did. Luke literally could say, next verse, and the Spirit came on them and they had power and they did what Jesus said, put, period, in the book. Because that's all Acts is, is, is the unfolding of this promise that this is what you will be. You will receive the Spirit with Him. You will receive power and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Now, connect... I think it's a clear connection, but I want to connect for you why I read these two passages. You heard from me, verse 4, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Down in the passage, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So what we're looking for is the baptism of the Spirit. That's what we're looking for. And it is defined by Jesus as power from the Spirit to be His witness. And it happens. Listen. It happens in Acts chapter 2. Not many days from when Jesus spoke this to them, the Spirit came. In a powerful way. Look at Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, verse 1, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound, like a mighty rushing wind. Whoop! Old Covenant, base of Sinai. What did the people hear? A sound of a mighty rushing wind. And they ran to the foot of Sinai and God was there. The people heard the same sound. The Spirit was doing then what He's doing now. Same thing. No different. And so He says, It came down... And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Important. Important. When Luke talks about being baptized with the Spirit, what he is talking about is being filled with the Spirit. That's what he's talking about. So how can you say that? Because Jesus said... John baptized with water, and you will be baptized with the Spirit not many days from now. In Acts 2, the Bible says, Luke says, they were filled with the Spirit. Same event. Baptism is, baptism of the Spirit is the first occurrence of the filling of the Spirit. The first occurrence, the beginning of the filling of the Spirit. And we're going to see that as a pattern as we hurriedly, I know hurriedly, run through this to to kind of grasp something here. And they were filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, listen to what happens. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Every nation under heaven is in Jerusalem. Devout men and Jews are there from every nation. And at the sound, what sound were they hearing? Well, it would have been first a great wind, and second, a great clamoring of tongues from every nation, every tribe and every tongue. They'd have been hearing this. And they would have, and what did they do? At the sound, the multitude came together. See the connection now between Sinai, the sound of the wind, the flashing of the lightning, the power from on high, and what did Israel do in response? They ran to the foot of the mountain and said, what's going on? Same thing's happening here. They hear the sound of the wind. They hear the clamor of the tongues. They hear it in their own language. And they run. They say, something's going on. Something's happening. They run to it. God's drawing them there. How many people? From every tribe and every tongue and every nation. Remember in the Old Testament, the Spirit's work was contained in the banks of Israel. What we're about to see in Pentecost is that same work flows out of Israel into all nations. To the Jews and the Gentiles. We'll see that. It's a beautiful thing. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these speaking Galileans? And now, how is it that we hear each of us in his own native tongue? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontius, That's the Middle East. Asia, that's the Near East heading out towards China. Maybe India and in, in the parts around there. Phrygia and Pamphylia. Egypt and parts of Libya, that's Africa. Belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, that's Europe. What's happening here? The same spirit that flooded into Israel at Mount Sinai is now flooding into the early church. And he's going, not just contained in one nation, but to all the nations. powers of the Spirit is flowing now. And He's going to all the nations. They were all amazed at it. Some believed, or they they were perplexed by it. They asked questions. They wanted to know more. Others began to mock it and say, these people are what? Drunk. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. You get the connection. People filled with the Spirit are so joyous and so overflowing with that joy, they look like they're drunk often. You say, something's wrong with that guy. He's different. Yep, yeah. But it's not wine. It's the Spirit of God. Oh, that our neighbors and our workers would say that about us. Oh, that they would say, that guy, see, he's high on something. What's wrong with that person? Check him for drugs. No, man, he's on fire from on high. That's a beautiful thing. Now, we don't have a lot of time. So what I want to do is I want to move. What we've just seen was still mainly proselytes Jews in Jerusalem. And so what, what happens from here? Well, we have subsequent feelings, and it happens that it's in these bands that Jesus identified. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. How do I get that? Acts 8. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verse 14 through 17. Philip has now gone and preached the message of the gospel in Samaria. You would think they believed Jesus when he said, start in Jerusalem, it'll spread to Judea, and then go to Samaria. The Spirit will come there too. He's going going to empower people. He's going to fill them like I'm filling you with the Spirit not many days from now. And then go to the other parts of the earth. Look. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the Word of God, they sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Wait. Are they not saved? Yes. They're regenerate. When they hear the Word of God... And they believe it. It said that earlier in the passage, by the way, that they believe, they heard the word of God, and they believe. That's regeneration. You can't express that kind of faith unless the Spirit is working on your heart to make it alive. They're they're already regenerate. It's not some gap between the preaching and regeneration that's going on here. What's going on is the Spirit is filling them like it did the Jews and proselytes at Pentecost. Jesus is fulfilling His word from Jerusalem, Judea, and then Samaria. Look what it does, and they received that they received the word, the the Holy Spirit, who came down and prayed for them. Peter and John came down and prayed for the Samaritans that they would receive the Holy Spirit, for He had not fallen on any of them. Jesus hadn't poured them out on the Samaritans yet. That's what comes from the unlocking of the keys of the kingdom of the apostles. It can't happen until the apostles go stamp it. Jesus told them that in Matthew 18. Matthew 16. He entrusted the keys of the kingdom to the apostles, and then they had to go look and say, this is the true gospel. These people express true faith. They lay their hands on them, and they bequeath to them, through Jesus Christ, the Spirit. Look what happens. He hadn't fallen on them, but they had only been baptized by water in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. He's now spreading, He's now moving this power. Acts 10. There we have Jerusalem and Judea covered. We've got Samaria. Where's the next band? The ends of the earth. Acts chapter 10, verse 44 through 48. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit. He's been preaching to Cornelius and the Gentiles in his home. And they, and they begin to believe. And they, they're, they're, while they're hearing it, they're believing. And what happens? The Spirit fell on all who heard the Word. Heard in a believing way. And the believers, see, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter, were amazed. The Jews that were with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And you can't do that until the power of the Holy Spirit comes on you not many days from now. And it did come on them. And at Pentecost, we have a great in gathering where the the Spirit falls on 3,000 are saved in one day a beautiful thing, and many more after that, subsequently, and then it goes to Samaria, and now it's gone to the Gentiles. Now, Acts, you might say, but he didn't use the term baptized there. You're right, Acts 11, he saves that for Peter's defense. Acts 11, verses 15 through 17, so you see the clear connection again of the filling and the baptism being the same thing. He's describing Peter and is describing what happened in Cornelius, to Cornelius and the Gentiles to the apostles in Jerusalem. And look what he says. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, <clears throat> just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, How he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the gift, just as he gave it to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I then to stand in God's way? He just described for us the baptism of the Spirit. That was in Acts 1, now it's hit the Gentiles. Samaria has received it, the ends of the earth have received the power of the Spirit. What happened in the Old Covenant was this. One nation under heaven contained the the vast majority of God's work. There were spots outside of Israel, but not many. Mainly, inside the banks of the channel of Israel, the Spirit was at work. Converting people, empowering people, walking. People were walking in the Spirit. Not all of them, but there were many of them. There were very few Gentiles that were coming. What happened at Pentecost is that same activity of the Spirit was now spread. What was it spread? Through the church and the apostles from Jerusalem and Judea into Samaria and into the ends of the earth. As that happened, the first occurrence was called baptism of the Spirit by Luke. Luke uses that term vastly more than anyone else. Paul only used baptism of the Spirit one time. And in 1 Corinthians, verse 12, verse 13, he says that if you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit into Christ, then you are Christ. You belong to Christ. So Paul, the problem is a lot of people read that text and say that's what was happening in all this time in Acts. The problem is the context. That's always the problem. When we want to make a good point, but we get out of context. Paul and Luke don't use the term baptism of the Spirit the same way. Paul, the only time he uses it, uses it for being converted, being regenerated. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. Luke rarely, maybe one time, All the other t- uses it that way. All the other times he uses it to talk about filling with the Spirit. So what's going on in Ephesians 5.18 is what was going on at Pentecost, in Samaria, and in Cornelius' home. What Paul's encouraging us to do is to be filled with the Spirit like they were filled with the Spirit. Now, to close, someone will ask, So, if I haven't spoken in tongues, then I'm not filled with the Spirit? That's the wrong question. It's the wrong question. Baptism of the Spirit is not equated with speaking in tongues. As a matter of fact, speaking in tongues is a gift that only some have, not all. Not all. And we are not to be praying, asking God for that gift as if it is greater than all the other gifts. So the filling of the Spirit may or may not come with an utterance, powerful utterance, like it did in some cases in the Bible. It may or may not. So someone asked me that, have you been baptized with the Spirit? I would say, what do you mean? If they said, have you spoken in tongues? That's being baptized with the Spirit. I would say, no. No, I've not been baptized the way you're describing it. No. Personally, I have not. But if they say, when I say, what do you mean by baptism? They say, well, I mean, have you been converted? Regenerate? I'd say, oh, yes. Absolutely. Because now they're using it in the sense that Paul used it in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. And I would say, absolutely. And I would ex- describe to them how I was brought to Christ and how I was made alive, and the difference between now and before Christ. You see what happens when someone asks you, have you been baptized by the Spirit? You've got to ask, what do you mean by that? As people believe, they mean different things. But then someone may say, what I mean is, are you, do you have the joy of your salvation? Have you experienced in such an a, a overwhelming sense that God is with you and He is for you, that you overflow with joy into your giftedness, and you begin to have victory over sin, and you begin to proclaim the gospel boldly, I would say, yes, I've experienced that. Not every day, but yes, I have. Absolutely, I've been baptized by the Spirit, if that's what you mean. So again, it's important that we clarify. How can we be filled with the Spirit? We'll end with the practical. How? Because I know most of you want to know that. Okay, you've said we're to be filled with the Spirit, and you've said what filling with the Spirit is, but but how are we filled with the Spirit? Luke eleven. <clears throat> in Luke eleven, Luke records for us Jesus teaching his disciples to pray. We get the model prayer here. And then we have uh, Jesus going further. Verse 5. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is, the friend, he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, the way Paul talks about it, the way Luke talks about it. You have to be praying, beseeching God, calling on Him continually, without ceasing. You have to be persistent. This isn't a one-time thing. Oh God, I want to be filled with the Spirit. 30 years later. I'm not filled with the Spirit. I don't know why God won't give it to me. Because you're like the friend that knocked on the door at midnight. And the guy said, get lost, I'm sleeping. And you got lost. You're not like the guy who goes to the door and and says, hey man, I need some food. I got a friend that showed up uh, unbeknownst to me. Man, I'm tired, I'm sleeping, my baby's sleeping. I know you are, but I got to have it. It's an emergency. I need it. I got to have it. I can't go home without it. Amen. I man, leave me alone. No, no, I'm going to sit right here till you open the door. Please open the door. I need it. You start praying to God like that, you'll see a change. If you want to be filled with the Spirit and you're not, ask. Be persistent in your asking. Be continual in it. Beg and plead with God that He would do it. Look what Jesus says. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. You mean Jesus will give me the car of my dreams if I keep asking Him? No. He'll heal my daddy if I pray hard enough. No. He'll make my marriage better. Not necessarily. But it says, I ask and you'll receive. Knock and you'll find. I mean, seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be open. That's what it says, pastor. And it says, Everyone who does these things will have it done for them. And look what he says, What father among you, if the, his son asked for a fish will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more with your heavenly Father? And people stop reading. Shut the book. All i got to do is ask for a raise and God will get it for me. Finish the verse. How much more will your heavenly Father Give what? Say it loud. You've been praying the wrong prayer all these years, and so have I. Like James, we asked to miss so we could spend it on our selfish desires. Oh God, do this for me. Oh God, do that for me. Oh God, fix this problem. Oh God, make me better at this. Oh God, give me this. Oh God, help me. No. Ask for the bread from heaven. Ask for Jesus to send his spirit. What you need is the Spirit. What I need is the Spirit. Let me tell you how that works. Just Get real practical. Some of your marriage is on the rocks. It's about to bust up. That's the fact. Whether you've told anybody, you're sitting in here this morning, you're saying, just get to the marriage part because I'm about to lose my husband. Stop worrying about your husband. What? Stop trying to fix him and stop trying to fix yourself to make him happy. Stop praying that God would change him. And start praying, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. I'm not getting up, Lord, until you give me your Spirit. I'm not going any farther now in life unless you fill me. And I'm drunk on your Spirit. I can't live without it. You say, what what Old Testament saint did that, Moses? He came down off Sinai, but he never was the same. When God gave him the test and said, Hey, I'll go, you go on into the promised land. I'm staying here. He said, What? I'm not going. Bold. Yep. Bold. God said, Okay, I'll drive your enemies out. Then you go on in. I'm staying here. No, I won't go until what? Until you go with us. Until I have you, I'm not going. I don't want the land. I don't want the gifts. I don't want the marriage. I don't want to be released from my besetting sin. If you're not with me, it's no good to me. Give me you. And God loves to give that to you Himself. And your marriage may improve, And you may be saved and you can praise God that He gave you His Spirit so that you could persevere and your wife could persevere and your marriage would persevere. And it may bust up and it may end in divorce and now you have the Spirit of God living in you. And so though you are crushed and limping like Jacob the rest of your life because you suffered through a terrible divorce, you have the Spirit of God. And you say, I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't have a perfect marriage and no Spirit. I got the spirit. Some of you are suffering from addictions, pornography, drugs, you name it. I'm not telling you not to go to counseling. I'm not telling you to reach out for help. But I'm telling you, you reach out for help without the spirit and it will fail. You try to live by a program, you will fail. If the Spirit of God does not set you free and fill you to walk in Him and through Him, you can't do it. And everybody around you trying to get you to do it won't make you do it. What do you need to be praying for your drug-addicted husband or wife? God, by your own mercy, give them your Spirit. Fill them with your Spirit today. You're sitting down in front of that computer screen and you're about to look at what you know you shouldn't look at. The only hope you've got against that, men, women, the only hope you've got is the power of the filling of the Spirit. That's the only hope you've got. Parental controls won't do it. Accountability partners won't do it. The Spirit has to do it. And you're going to your friend and you're trying to help them in their sin problems. Don't give them steps to take. Try this radical approach. Before we do anything else, talk about any plan or anything else, I want to pray. Will you pray with me? I want you to be filled with the Spirit. You need the Spirit. I need the Spirit. Let's beg God to give us His Spirit. Fill us. Keep on filling us, God, with your Spirit. He answers that prayer. How are you filled with the Spirit? One, you are persistent in praying for the Spirit. And two, you're energized by the gospel. You're, in other words, in the Word of God continually. Romans chapter 15. The close of Paul's great letter to the Roman church. Church in Rome. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. In believing, believing what? The gospel. How do we believe the gospel? We have to know the Word of God. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you might abound in hope. You may abound in hope. You see it? The feeling of joy and peace comes from what? The Holy Spirit. Acting on what? The Word of God. You say, I, I'm not, I want what you're talking about, Christ, but I've never experienced it. How do I experience it? Pray without ceasing that God give you the Spirit and get in His Word and eat it like it is the bread of heaven and it is your only sustenance to give you life. You do that, I do that, and we do it from this day forward. This county, this church, this community, this county will never be the same again because God answers that prayer faithfully and He will fill us with His Spirit for the power of ministry and He will overcome our besetting sin because we have joy in our wonderful magnificent Savior and the salvation He has granted and we will then be bold in our witness. Those three characteristics always exist with the filling and the baptism of the Spirit. Other things may come or go, but those three are always there. Joy and salvation, overcoming besetting sin, and boldness in witness. Whatever else is manifested, I'm not speaking on it. I, I can't verify it by the outward things that are happening, but I can verify it when someone I see and hear the joy of the Lord in them, and they're, they're confessing and repenting and overcoming sin, and they're bold in their witness, I'd say that guy's filled with the Spirit right there. spoke in tongues. I, that, that doesn't matter. Maybe later, but, but he's filled. Don't you want it? I mean, honestly. Let's just cut to it. Whatever your theology is about the gifts, we can talk about that. It's important, but it's not this important. This is what matters. This is what, this is what impacts the life. This is what changes us, is to be with our God, and our God to be with us in the Spirit. And the good thing is, He will be, and He is. So let's call on Him, persistently.